Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the USMLE Guys podcast. My name is Dr. Paul. In today's episode, we are doing another USMLE Coaches Corner episode. This is something we previously recorded from our YouTube channel, and I wanted to share with you here today. We will be talking about one of the common problems that our one-on-one coaching students are experiencing, sharing with you what's going on and how to fix it so that you can move forward with your own USMLE preparation without any worries. And if you want to work with us one-on-one or you want to learn more about how we can help you prep for your USMLE exams, don't forget to visit our website, usmleguys.com. All right, let's dive in with today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the channel. My name is Dr. Paul. In today's video, we are doing something a little different. We are going to do a full webinar and we are going to walk you through the 10 biggest challenges that medical students face throughout their entire medical school career, such as balancing the workload, studying for their exams, etc. This is a bit of a long one, but make sure you stick around to the end because if you can overcome all of the challenges that we are going to talk about today, you will find yourself in a position to excel in med school on the exams and ultimately position yourself for your dream residency. If you find this to be helpful, do us a huge favor, hit that thumbs up button below. And if you're not yet subscribed, hit that subscribe button, set up notifications, and we will let you know every time we release a brand new episode. All right, let's dive in with today's video. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the webinar. My name is Dr. Paul. I am here with Dr. Stavros. Today, we're going to take you through the top 10 biggest struggles and challenges that we've seen medical students like yourself experiencing over the last decade since we started doing this. And we're going to talk about these top 10 things in great detail so that ideally any issue that might come up for you in the future, you can refer back to this and get over it quite easily. Now, here's what we're going to talk about today. So if you are, let's say in third or fourth year, don't worry, we do have something for you as well. So number one, probably the most important thing, we're going to talk about how to manage your time in med school. Second thing we're going to discuss is step one prep from A to Z. And we're going to talk CK prep as well separately, but they're very similar. And you'll see that if you implement some strategies, you can crush both of these quite easily. Then we're going to talk to you about developing new coping and study skills to meet the demands of a fast paced curriculum, which if you're in med school already, you know, it is fast paced. Then we're going to talk about motivation and burnout, something that You might not talk a lot about with your medical peers, but this is something that we deal with every single day. Students are lacking motivation. They're burnt out. They want to quit, and we don't want that to happen to you. So we're going to give you some strategies to overcome that as well. Then we're going to talk to you about what to do when you encounter a challenging class or teacher. It will happen, no doubt in my mind. Then we're going to move into the clinical years. So starting clinical rotations, we're going to talk to you about how to write your notes, how to adjust to different schedules because you're going to be all over the place with your schedule as well as shelf exams after every rotation. Then we're going to dive into step two CK prep step by step so that you can crush a CK even though you're busy with your rotations. Then we're going to give you something super valuable, which is we're going to show you how to stand out amongst all of your peers during clinical rotations. This is the key to great grades. This is the key to excellent letters of recommendation. This is the key to getting your foot in the door if you want a residency. And finally, we're going to talk to you about how to set yourself up to get amazing letters of recommendation during your clinicals. And then we have two more bonuses we're going to give you. We're going to talk about getting everything in order for residency. So the main components of a good residency application, getting them ready ahead of time, 
We're going to talk to you about the resources and websites you can refer to to do some research, get everything in order so that you put yourself in the best position possible. And the final thing we're going to talk about with respect to getting into residency is how to find the right programs depending on your individual circumstances. Uh, we'll give you a step-by-step -step process to gather info about the programs that you qualify for, how to dig up information, how to connect with residents and attendings in those programs to sort of get yourself in, in the door, get your foot in the door ahead of time. So we're going to dive into that today. Just so you know, once again, I'm Dr. Paul. This is Dr. Stavros. We are co-owners of the USMLE Preparation Company. We talk everything med school, USMLE prep, residency applications. So if you ever need any help with anything, don't hesitate to reach out to us. All right, Dr. Stavros, you excited? I'm very excited. I'm pumped. Let's go. This is going to be a good one. We've talked about doing this for so long because there's such a myriad of issues students encounter and everyone's different, but I think this webinar is going to tackle everything so that if you come out of this, you're going to be so well equipped to handle anything med school throws your way. It's going to be cake. Love it. So let's dive in. Love it. All right, Doc. So let's start number one, first and foremost, with time management. And let's think day one of med school. Can you walk us through effective time management strategies, the mentality you should take when it comes to managing your time so that you put yourself in a good position to be able to get everything done and also still have some free time for yourself? Well, even before for the first day of medical school, ideally you want to figure out, okay, you can open up the curriculum, whether it's whatever school you go into and see what kind of classes you're going to have and devise a plan as far as a schedule because you have to have an idea of what material you're going to be covering and how much time you're going to devote. Because on day one, you're going to sit there, teachers are going to start teaching, and next thing you know, an hour goes by, you've covered 20, 30, 40 pages, and that just doesn't stop. So that's the whole point. You have to get yourself ready mentally and physically before even first day of medical school. So that's what we tell our students. Check out the curriculum, read a little bit, review a little bit, and prepare for the, prepare the fact that you're going to be studying quite a bit on a day-to-day -day basis, six to seven times per month, per, per week, actually, because you have to study every day. It's a lot, a lot of stuff to do. Sure. And on top of that, so that's, that's aspect number one. The aspect I would want to throw out there for all of you is you need to learn to schedule your time so that you can fit in the things you need. One of the worst things you can do, especially as a med student, is what we call winging it, right? You've heard the term wing it. When you just kind of take things as they come. In everyday life, if you want to do that, that's up to you. In med school, you have so many things to stay on top of, so many tests to study for. You should be prepping for step one along the way. And you also, of course, want to manage a little bit of a social life, whether you have a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend back home. You want to be able to manage those things. And if you're just winging it, you're going to lose track of the time that you need to dedicate to each specific task. And you might spend way too much time on your social life and that's going to lead to struggles in the class or vice versa. So what I recommend you do and everybody who follows us knows that I do this very diligently is I outline what I'm going to do from the day I, the moment I wake up until the moment I go to bed. Now you might think you're thinking that doesn't sound very fun or very sexy. It's not, but what we're aiming for here is getting results. That's all that matters, right doc? We want results. We want to do we want you to do well in your classes, master the basic sciences so that you can crush a step one. We want you to also do this while still having some time to build some friendships while you're in school. And if you have relationships outside of school or you have children or just anything else you need to be on top of, we want you to be able to excel in all areas. There's this notion and this belief that, you know, you have to just dedicate everything to this and everything else suffers. 
while it does take a lot of dedication to do well in med school, to crush everything, you can still have those other things. But if you're not diligently managing your time, you can kiss a goodbye. And I've, this is why when we, Doc, you could probably attest to this, in med school, how many people came to the island married or in serious relationships, and by the end of those 20 months or two years or wherever it may be, they were done? A lot, yeah. right? Too many to count, yeah. Too many to count. And that's unfortunate because ultimately what it comes down to is not making, not prioritizing everything. So yeah. make sure that you're very diligent with your schedule. If you need to work out, schedule it. You should schedule when you're going to eat because let's say from three to five, you planned on sitting down, mastering cardiac physiology. All of a sudden, your friends are like, hey, let's go get a, get a bite to eat after class. And you say, okay, I'll do that. And then what happens is the next day you're behind and then it happens again. Yeah. You snowball in the wrong direction. That's not what you want. So stick to a schedule, make sure people in your circle know that you're very diligent of your time and you're very protective of your time. Don't let someone steal that from you. If you can follow this strategy, implement what I just said, implement what Dr. Stavros said by reading ahead, knowing what's coming ahead of time, you will be able to manage your time, excel in every area and ultimately get to the final destination that you want with everything intact. You see, for me personally, I, I majored in biochem. I third, fourth year of college grad. I really had everything structured and scheduled, but I wasn't ready for medical school. One thing I like to tell everyone out there listening and watching is you can't just flip a switch. So if you're not used to schedule, if you're not used to right, creating a schedule for yourself, why not try three, four, five weeks before starting medical school because you can't expect to go there on day one and then say, oh, now I'm in medical school and I'm, I will start implementing the schedule because it's not easy like anything else. No, you implementing something new and this is for your future. So why not start on a good note, on the right note and start today. Schedule, okay, I wake up at this time, but do it the night before, right? Or like when you watch our videos on Sunday nights, plan. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, guys, there's only 24 hours any given day but there's many people out there like us and so many others that, you know, cover up. They, 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 they're so productive on a daily basis because they schedule themselves every hour on the hour. So start from now. Practice, practice, practice. I'm glad you said that because you're very right. If you are someone who just sort of wings it and then all of a sudden you start scheduling things in, you're going to sort of feel like you're in this prison because you're like, oh, I have to do this and I have to. But here's the key. People don't understand that if you're disciplined with your time, that's actually the key to freedom. Because if you don't schedule things in, then you always have this sort of this cloud over your head of the things you need to do. If you schedule everything though, you know what you need to do. Once you've done it, then you're free. You can do whatever you want outside yeah. of that. So sure. keep that in mind. Discipline equals freedom. If you're disciplined with your time, with your day, with the schedule you need to keep, that will allow you to accomplish what you need and also then be able to go do the things that you want. So keep that in mind. Time management is the probably the most important skill that you can develop for med school. I've seen a lot of smart people drop out because they couldn't keep up, yeah. strictly because their time management skills were not where they needed to be. And that's why we have this as number one on the list, right? Because if you can master this from now, then that's going to snowball and to be a domino effect for the rest of your life, not just medical school. Because when you're in high school and undergrad, okay, you know, I'm studying, trying to pass, but this is to build the foundation for a future in medicine. It's not just to pass a test or pass a class. You might feel that way. That's what I felt on day one in the first couple of semesters. I'm like, oh, I'm oh, yeah. not realizing everything I'm learning from different angles will, will accumulate this wonderful foundation of medicine that I can use one day in life. So think this way. I wish we had 
ourselves back then, so to speak, like doctors like us trying to spread the knowledge and the wealth, the wealth of knowledge and the word out there. So take it to heart, guys. You'll do very, very well if you just implement this one thing out of 10. Implement all 10, but at least this one. Yeah. And just, you know, one thing to keep in mind is that we are not perfect. When we went through med school, we both had our challenges and we know this. We're the first to admit that we were not superstars, but we figured out these things as we went because we were actively looking for help. You know, I could, the first week of med school, I was a wreck. I was like, how is this even possible? I talked to people ahead of me. They told me what to do. Perfect. Step one prep. I struggled with my step one prep. Uh, my NBMEs were not improving like I wanted. So I talked to people who killed the, the step one. They told me this is what I did. I implemented it. I got the results. And that's what we're talking to you about today. So let's dive into number two. So we are talking step one prep from A to Z. Now, of course, everybody wants the, the prep course. I'm going to give you guys a very valuable piece of advice. I'm going to save you between two and $3,000 right now. You do not need a step one prep course. All of the materials that you could ever need to score 260 and above are already out there. You're in med school, which is the ultimate prep course. You've got USMLE world questions, which are far and away the best, most challenging questions to get you ready for step one. You've got the first aid, which is a high yield review guide, not a learning tool, a review guide. And then you've got the cream of the crop review tools, uh, assessment tools rather, and BME exams. So let's break this down from a hierarchy or let's, let's think of this as far as a pyramid, right? So a pyramid at the base, we have our basic sciences. You have to think every single day when you're in class that everything I'm learning here is going to form the foundation for a strong step one score. And I know a lot of students focus way too much on this is just so I can pass my classes. I'll worry about step one down the road. If you think that way, I can tell you for sure you won't maximize your score. So there's a couple ways to look at the approach to the basic sciences. I'm going to give you one. And then Dr. Stavros, I'll let you talk about the way your sister approached hers because she was recently in med school. We had an interview with her and she talked about how she had her first aid next to her during class. I'll let you explain that strategy because there's different ways to do this. Cool. I'll explain what I prefer. And then if you don't mind, you can explain that. That way students can figure out which might work best for them, try them both out. And then once they figure out what works for them, they can move forward with that. Okay. Perfect. So I recommend that what students do is they pre-read, Dr. Stavros mentioned this, pre-read what they're gonna talk about in class. That way when you go in, when the, the uh, professor reads the notes, talks to you, teaches you whatever he's doing, second time you're seeing it. Then what I recommend you do is after class, go home, take all the information that you went through that day and create more condensed notes. Now, a good tip that we got from Dr. Cellini, I love going back to this one, is find a study partner and break up that work. So let's say you have 100 slides, find a study partner who you can trust to take that information, condense it into, let's say, one to two pages of high yield condensed notes. You do the same, and then you both just, of course, share the information. What you wanna do then is take that information on the weekend and then condense it down to the most basic level you can. So once you've taken this broad amount of, of class note information, condense it down maybe 50%. So you have, let's say, two, maybe three pages of notes that are not super, super condensed, but condensed from the originals. Then on the weekend, you might have 10 pieces of paper with all your week's notes. Take half a day, take that information, condense it even further. As you learn something, condense it in your own way to a more simplified version. 
those pieces of paper that you're going to create on the weekends, your most simplified version is going to take, let's say, uh, let's say a thousand slides worth of information. And then you're going to break it down once. And then on the weekend, you're going to take it and condense it down to maybe 5% of the actual words, but it's going to remind you of the important stuff that you covered that week. Now the goal here is that you know that information. So now you have a, a high yield review sheet that you can look at and you can say, this is my review for step one and for the class. For, so for your exams every three weeks, every two, three weeks, this is my review, but I'm also gonna use this for step one. And what you wanna do is make sure that you take those highly condensed notes and then every two to three days, leaf through them. So let's say by the end of fifth semester, you've got a stack of 200 pages. That's equivalent to your own step one, the first aid for step one that you created. It's super condensed, but it's got everything, everything, that's a key, everything there, and you've been constantly reviewing this. So let's say every day I create two, every weekend I create three new pages of high condensed notes. What I'm gonna do is every day, I'm gonna have a stack, I'm gonna go through one page every day. So Monday, I'm gonna look through a page, I'm gonna review everything, make sure I know it, put it at the back. The next day, I'm gonna do the same thing with a page on top, and I'm gonna cycle through this again and again and again, so that by the time the exam rolls around, all you have to do is do questions, identify any weaknesses you might have, go back, do a little bit more detailed review, bring up those weaknesses, and you're in shape for step one. So foundation building, condensed notes. Then when it comes time to dedicated prep, you can dive into UWorld. You could do UWorld along the way if you want, but I would suggest you leave UWorld till the end yeah. and then attack other question banks along the way. So for example, you have Kaplan, you have RX, you have Amboss. Every university seems to have their own bank of questions these days. They're all free online. You can find them. Um, and then you're going to use NBMEs to identify any weaknesses. Once you've identified weaknesses, you're going to go back. Let's say anatomy is a huge weakness. The brachial plexus is a huge weakness based on your NBME. You're going to go, you're going to dive into that topic, improve it, dive into any other weak topics. Once you've reviewed all those weaknesses and you've put in some time to make sure you know them better, take another NBME, make sure there's no weaknesses, and then cycle that strategy until you take an NBME with no weaknesses, the score is off the charts, and you're ready to take your exam. Now, Doc, you wanna jump in and, and give me your feedback on that? I mean, I love everything you said, and I can guarantee students watching, doctors watching, first thing many would say is, wow, that's a lot of work. Well, yeah, guys, spoiler alert, it is a lot of work. And two things, if you're not ready to dedicate the work, <clears throat> you'll suffer and you'll realize how you'll suffer later because obviously we can say anything we want today. It's up to you if you're going to implement it. And you have to make sure if you put the effort into this, you keep reviewing. Instead of reviewing a 100-page book or two-hour movie, you can review it in five minutes or one sheet. It's a big difference. That's why it's mm -hmm. more uh, you're more compliant to do so because like, oh, I have one page that reviews a 100 slides versus I got to go through 100 slides again. Because we've been through it. We, I mean, I wish I knew this kind of technique back then. Instead, I'm like, I'll do it later. That's too much. I'll do it tomorrow. Like anything else, like high school, undergrad, medical school. If you wait till the end, you're going to suffer greatly because you're going to try to cram it all in. And unfortunately, you can't do that in medical school because you will see the consequence if you do that. So I love that approach. You know, the way we, the reason why we say this is because a lot of times students have to understand there's different ways to study. The other way is class by class, week by week, you have your first aid open because unfortunately every medical school is different. So you have to make sure that you understand the material and having a guide on the side. And again, first aid is high yield. It's not going to substitute a medical, a medical school curriculum, 
but it's going to help you remember things like the mnemonics, pathways, cycles, and whatnot. So why not have it on your side and use it as a guide as you go class by class? But remember, never think that's going to be a substitute because many students like to highlight, like to use, like to put all that emphasis, all that work, that, that, that structure in, in studying and reading the book and creating the book. But you know what, Doc? They don't go back and read. They don't go back and read. So all that energy is, is expelled. And guess what? It's, it's a waste of time. So you could have the first aid by yourself like my sister did. She had semester by semester. She'd have her first aid. And the end of every day, end of every week, go back and review. Said, okay, I had biochem this semester. And we covered these, these two cycles, these three cycles this week. Then on Friday, she'd go look at the book, review everything, the mnemonics, the little tips, strategies. So by the time she got to fourth semester and fifth semester, she was checking as far as everything she was reading. Plus, she was ready to go for step one. Because spoiler alert, when you're in medical school, school will provide you maybe two, three months after your second year to study for step one. So if you're going to wait five semesters to get there to start studying, you will not score as high as you want because you'll start panicking because I would, right? You would too, doc. It's like, wait, so my classes are over and I got to study for step one? Start studying from now. Put the work in now and you will see how amazing it is later. So one of those things where if you put in an inordinate amount of effort up front, you will get the results down the road. But if yeah. you try to shortcut here or there, it's yeah. going to show on your step one. That's the thing. Students are always looking for, you know, how can I, how can, what can I do that's going to save me some time? Yeah. When it comes to learning medicine, especially when it comes to the step one, which is such an important exam, whether it's pass fail, which it'll be soon, or whether it's three digits, it's really, really challenging. And the more effort you put into learning the material, the more that's going to reflect on your score report. So keep that in mind, guys. You don't want to take shortcuts when it comes to step one prep. You want to take the long cut. So don't try to think of, you know, obviously mnemonics are good and memory aids are great. But, you know, when it comes to um, learning something, don't just try to simplify everything. For example, anatomy. A lot of people will try to just say, okay, what are the high yield points I need to know? So the brachial plexus. Okay, great. But you should still know all of the little nerves that, that come off here and there and there. Don't just know the big ones, the median, all nerve rating. All, you don't need to just know the big stuff. You do need to know the small stuff because guess what? The step one is going to challenge you on all those things. It might not be the correct answer for something, but they can throw the lower yield stuff in as a distractor. And if you know that stuff, then you won't be distracted. Simple as that. You know, I think a lot, and this is how I felt when I was a student. I'm like, well, how can I review something I don't know, right? So I'll just wait till the end of the semester. But the problem is you start not building that, 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 that uh, discipline, that, that schedule that you have to build from day one. So even if it's a material that may not that make sense right now, it doesn't hurt to review because guys, what goes in is going to come out. I mean, the material is a lot of, it's a lot of material to cover, right? So why not set up those safety checks from now? So when the time comes and you're about to take step one, you feel like you're pretty confident. I mean, you, you have a foundation and now you just got to just review implement the questions. There's a lot more to it, obviously, right? Because every person is mm-hmm. different. What works sure. for you might work for somebody else and vice versa. A lot of students are like, well, I want to wait till the end. If you wait, guys, you will suffer. Please listen to us. If you wait for later, when later comes, you're going to say, I wish I knew or I hope, I wish I would have studied earlier. Don't, 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 don't join that group because it's going to really suffer later. It's not going to work. Definitely. All right. Number three, one of the biggest things that the biggest challenges that students come to us with is um, how to properly study study skills to meet the demands of that fast-paced curriculum so 
How do you cope with a fast-paced curriculum? What type of study skills can you implement from day one to make sure that you don't fall behind to the point where you have no choice but to give up, drop a class, or even drop out of school altogether? So, Doc, what do you think? I mean, we touched it. We touched about it earlier. Uh, you have to really review the material before the first day, before the first, before the before you start class. Then, when you're in class, because guess what? You can't pause. Now, side note: some classes are live, and some schools offer that live online interaction where you can kind of watch the recordings. Okay, so let's just say for conversation, you're in the actual classroom. The professor's teaching for an hour, an hour and a half. You can't pause them. So. You're just sitting there absorbing info, by the way, from information you haven't really seen. And then you walk out like, oh, yeah, I kind of know the info. No, you don't know anything, unfortunately, because it's going to seep right through. So why not review it the night before? Now that's one. You go to class. You take notes. You get distracted. I can't understand. But you've heard it a second time. Then when you go home, guys, don't relax. Don't go to sleep. Try, try to say, you know what? I'm going to get it done. I'm going to review what I read today, what I heard today. So now you've seen it and heard it three times. If you do that every day and on the weekend say, well, okay, five days have gone by. Let me just take a couple hours before I go to the beach or hang out or hang out with family and friends. Say, okay, let me review day one, day two, day three, four, day five. But now you've seen each day three times, right? So now that's three times. By doing it, that's four times. How do you not remember the information? There's no way to not absorb 60%, even 70%. I mean, and, I don't get it. And you're going to implement spaced repetition where yeah. – you take yeah. those study notes that you created and you're going to cycle through them consistently. So even if you're in third semester, you should always be reviewing anatomy, embryo, histo, uh, you know, behavioral, whatever was, was in first and second semester you should always be reviewing this stuff. As you go, you have a bigger list of things to review, but you're always reviewing it. So by the time step one comes around, you should theoretically see th have seen things like 50, 60 times and know it like that. You know, and whether you're in the Caribbean, you're you know, international, you're domestic in the States, wherever you're at, we understand. On day one, the first week, first month, you're hanging out with friends, getting acclimated to the environment, by all means. But it doesn't, it doesn't prevent you from actually starting to study the right way because you can, as we all say, you can do many things. You can schedule time with your family, friends. You know, I was, I was really guilty. I'd always spend time talking to mom and dad and friends. And I said to myself, I'm spending hours throughout the day talking to other people, including family, helping them out. But then I was suffering because I didn't have the time to devote to me. So a quick tip, put a timer on, on your phone for five minutes, knowing that, okay, I'm talking to X, Y, and Z. That's a long convo. I got five minutes after that, I'm out because I have to invest in myself because if you don't invest in yourself, there's no magic pill. There's no magic pill. If you don't study, you're not going to score high. It's not going to happen unless you just memorize everything and then that's your photo checking memory. But you have right. to take care. You have to take care of yourself so that you can take care of others. Exactly. And that means putting yourself first, and a lot of people aren't willing to do that. So that's very, a very good point. Um, yeah. Okay, let's move on to number four: motivation and burnout. Oh. Let me address motivation first, and then we can talk about some skills to cope with burnout, which is extremely prevalent in med students. So, I always students always, you know, I get this question on Instagram all the time. Students say, "How do you stay motivated? How do I stay motivated?" Blah 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 blah. There's no such thing as motivation. Motivation is like a drug. It's a quick fix. It's a, it's a high. You ever, and I'm guilty of this too. I know you are too. We love motivational stuff. It, it's a massive industry because it's like a drug. You can go to YouTube and you could type in motivational video and there's billions of videos because when you rely on motivation, you get that quick, that quick hit. It's you get a dopamine surge. You feel good. You're ready to go. Here's the thing though. You can't maintain that sort of high all the time. Yeah. And so that's why I mentioned earlier, 
you have to develop discipline instead of just relying on motivation because even someone who's super driven all the time, let's say you are in the NBA, your basketball player, or you're training for the Olympics, there's going to be days where you just don't feel like doing the work because there's a lot of work to be done. So on those days where you don't feel like doing the work, if you're not motivated, what are you going to do? You're just going to stay in bed. Well, that's not really an option because there's someone who's, who's sitting next to you in class on both sides, someone in front of you, someone behind you who's disciplined and they're doing the work. And every time you're not motivated, what's going to happen is they're going to get a little further ahead, a little further ahead. Before you know it, you weren't motivated five days this block and well, you only got a 70 on your exam. Everyone else got a 90 because they did the work. All of a sudden, you're the worst in the class. doesn't really work. So try to, now there's nothing wrong with if you have a few, let's say, motivational videos you like, you want to watch them in the morning, that's one thing. Don't rely on it though. Don't use that as the, I need this or I can't do my work. What you want to do is develop discipline. So get rid of the idea of I need motivation and buy into the idea of discipline is the key to get me to where I want to be. And you also have to have a very strong reason why you're doing what you're doing to stay disciplined. If, if the only reason I want to be in the Olympics is because I want that piece of gold so that I can sell it and, you know, make 5,000 bucks, that's not a very good why. But if my why for wanting to be in the Olympics is let's say I'd be the first person from my country ever to win that, that competition, that's a powerful why for me. And that's my why. Now you can use that as motivation, but typically it's not going to be motivating. It's just going to be a way for you to say, this is the reason why I'm doing this. I don't feel like doing the work today, but I'm disciplined enough to do what I have to do today. So if you create that timed step-by-step strategy of what you need to do every day, and you just promise yourself that you'll do it, even if you don't feel like it, that's discipline. That will get you to where you be. So you, where you want to be. Therefore, let's say you're not motivated for two weeks. And then all of a sudden, you know, you feel really motivated one day and you didn't do anything for two weeks. You're going to think, oh, I haven't done anything for two weeks. What's the point? But if you're disciplined for those two weeks, then when those days where you feel super motivated hit, all of a sudden you've done so much, it's even more motivating. And then you you sort of get this snowball effect, this compounding effect where you've done the work even when you didn't want to do it. And on days when you feel really excited about it, you're so happy and proud of yourself for doing it that you get even more motivated. And that sort of is, is this ongoing perpetual thing where the more you do, the more motivated you'll naturally become. Think about it this way. You can't motivate yourself to work, but if you put the work first and you do it, you'll see results. That will just lead to motivation. It's, it. the, it, it's the whole thing where, you know, um, I used to be a personal trainer and people would always say, I'm too tired to work out. I feel like crap. When I feel better, I'll work out. That's not the way to think of it. It's you have to work out to lose the weight and gain the energy. You always have to do the hard thing to get to the good thing. And in this case, you have to do the work to get to the end goal, the why. What are you doing this for? You can't rely on motivation, rely on discipline instead. You know, and I, and I totally understand. I mean, that was amazing what you just said. And I, and I totally understand people out there watching and listening. Because, you know, we motivate, we inspire students. We motivate them ourselves as well, too. But again, if you, like you said, if you're looking for someone to do it for you, then as soon as we give you some motivation or help you out the best we can, there's a half-life, and next thing you know, you're looking for somebody else to do it. And then you have to really think, what do you have to do for yourself? Where's that anchor inside you to say, okay, why am I doing this? Why am I not wanting to do this? Because it's not easy. I mean, during the whole pandemic, the 2020, which we're currently in right now, you know, it was hard for many students, right? We were quarantined, and we all looked for each other for 
for help, for motivation, to be inspired, you know, and that's the whole point. If you need that, it doesn't hurt to have a couple study, study partners, some friends who can really be a positive influence on you to get you up and running to eventually you can be on autopilot because you see us and, you know, we're moving, shaking, teaching, doing this, instructing, you know, podcasts, YouTube, Instagram. It's not easy, but we love doing it. And we, we have that fire within because we have a certain, uh, certain goal, certain schedule, certain structure, certain anchor inside that gets us going each and every day. So, I mean, if that helps, I hope it does, right? I mean, it's motivation is the act. I looked at act or the act or process of giving someone a reason for doing something. But then you, once you want to give yourself the reason, right? I can't be giving you the reason. You have to think yourself. What's the because reason? Because your, your reasons for motivating me are based on your own perception of what's motivating. Sure. You know, and a good motivator, like, you know, I consider myself to be a good motivator, but I know that people are always saying, I'm still not motivated, blah, 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 you know, after a couple of weeks, because it's, it's fleets, right? That's why you have to find your own reason for being motivated, which is your why. All right, let us move on to burnout. Now, burnout is most likely going to happen to you at some point, whether it's in med school now or when you're in residency. Down the road, we all experience it at some point. So some of the signs of burnout can include just fatigue, lethargy, you just, you're not feeling like doing anything, lack of motivation or inspiration. Now, like we said, you can't always be motivated, but even if you were, let's say, heard something motivating and you're like, I just don't care, you know, that could be burnout as well. And typically burnout referring to like, you know, you've been going really hard and now you're just starting to feel these effects. Obviously, if you're constantly tired, look at your diet, maybe see a doctor if it's ongoing, but we're talking typically about burnout here. Um, burnout is, is just a result of overdoing it, really. And this can happen to the best of us. For me, whenever I feel burnt out, I know because I stop really caring. So I'll find myself all of a sudden saying, you know what, I don't even care about anything. That, and you have to understand that this is normal and that burnout doesn't mean you should quit what you're doing. It just means that you need to maybe take a step back and take a day off. For me, I can catch myself now because it's happened to me for the last decade or so. When I feel like I don't care about something anymore, I just want to quit or whatever it may be, I know that that's not aligned with my vision. And that's just burnout. So what I'll do is I've learned, I'll just take a day off. Even if, I can, even if I have a lot to do, I'll just take a day off. I'll put everything aside, phone away. I'll just relax, watch TV, go for walks, do whatever I have to do. Um, you know, check and make sure you're sleeping enough. If you're not sleeping enough, it's easy to get burnt out because you, know, you're, you have a lot of hormonal imbalances when you don't sleep enough. And that can really exacerbate burnout. Um, just taking a step back though for a day, uh, or if you can afford to, let's say you're, you don't want to do this in the middle of the semester, but if it's the end of um, a semester and it's break time, actually take the break and just sit back and relax. You've earned it. Recognizing the signs of burnout is the first thing. When you see them, schedule a day off. Take some time to yourself. That usually does it for me. Again, if it's ongoing and persistent no matter what, see a doctor, but make sure you check your diet. Make sure you're sleeping enough, and if it still happens, Try to take a day off. What do you do to cope with uh, signs of burnout? Well, you know, I, I, I pretty much, I take long walks. Uh, I, I do that honestly every day because I know, and those people who know me know us, I like to redline. I like to really go because I like the fast pace. I like working all day. But at the end of the day, sometimes you get exhausted, right? But when you get oh, to yeah. where you feel like I can't take it anymore, you got to really pull away a little bit. It's an example where if you see, let's say somebody on the treadmill and they're sprinting and then you're like, well, I want to do it too. And you're not used to it. 
you're going to burn out eventually. So that's the whole point. What we see out there, if you're comparing yourself to other students, other colleagues, like for me, we could sleep a couple hours, wake up and start working. If it doesn't work for you, don't implement it into your schedule because you'll burn out quicker. If you're really going hard every, you know, each day, studying, 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 you're going to eventually feel that I can't do it anymore. You can't give up. Take it easy. You know, listen to a podcast, you know, talk to your family. It doesn't hurt to take a break. It's if you take too many breaks and you get to a point of getting really relaxed and you're very comfortable and not studying, that's where it's actually toxic. So it's going to happen eventually. Um, some people really just give up, right? They get into residency and they get really pushed hard, but it doesn't, no one stops you from just pulling away for a little bit. Half a day, call your family, say, listen, guys, I love you. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be off the radar for a couple hours. Like Dr. Paul, sometimes like, listen, doc, I'll talk to you in two hours. I just got, I'm just going to go to the gym, relax, take it easy. Just take a nap. Whatever you got to do, just give yourself the time, pull the car over, so to speak, let it relax, let it rest up before you see that check engine oil kind of thing and go back on the road or else how can you drive a car when the, when the tank is empty? You can't go anywhere. Simple as that. You got to take care of yourself. Someone gave me a really good uh, sort of analogy the other day. I don't know if you've ever had a cell phone left it in a car like your iPhone in the middle of summer. Even an iPhone, if it gets hot enough, it will actually shut off. And you have to think of yourself as the same way. You can't just be going like you know, redlining it all the time. Eventually, you're going to burn out and the engine's going to die. Same thing with a battery. Battery, once it's fully charged, it can go all day, but then it will need to be recharged. And you have to think of yourself as the exact same way. So if you're not recharging yourself every single day, then you will eventually get to that point where you charge your phone overnight and it's only at 20% because it was just so depleted and the battery doesn't even function properly. So you have to make sure you take care of yourself. And like you said, um, there's nothing wrong with taking a couple hours every day to yourself. Just make sure you get what you need to get done and then make sure you give yourself time to take care of yourself. You know, I think for me, the burnout was, and, I, and I've seen that a lot lately with colleagues and students, um, they, they go to rotations, right? Clinical rotations and electives, and that, or they have family, they have kids and whatnot. And they come home and instead of saying, okay, I'm being realistic, it's 7 p.m., I'm tired, I need to really relax, so maybe just read a half hour, they say, I'm going to continue, it's admirable, it's, it's uh, honorable, mm -hmm. I'm studying all night. I've seen it with my own sister, because she lived with me temporarily when she was doing rotations. I'm like, sis, you have to stop. No, nah, I'm going to keep reading. So she read until midnight, exhausted, tired, not retaining anything, rereading things five times. What did she accomplish? She didn't retain the info. She got tired, exhausted. And then she started burning out because she wake up in the morning exhausted. I'm like, Samantha, I'm like, you have to take it easy. Go to bed. Or like you've said, Dr. Paul, many times, go to bed early, wake up earlier and invest time in yourself. Why push yourself to a later evening being exhausted because you are ready. And the next morning, just it's, it's a snowball. It's a domino effect actually. And it really sucks. So you just got to be careful. Give yourself the time. Yeah. Like, you know, if, if your sister comes home and let's say from nine to midnight, she's reading and not retaining anything. If she had gone to bed and then woken up three hours earlier, she would have gotten six to seven hours. And then that three hours every single day over the course of a week, what's that? 15 hours over the course of a month, 60 hours over the course of three months, 180 hours. It's like extra weeks, but you just got to manage that. This kind of goes back to number one, time management, going to bed earlier and getting up earlier is way more effective than staying up late, especially after a full day. Now, if you're someone who really, really thrives late night, that's a different story. But a lot of people don't, and they try to push themselves with that belief that I got to stay busy, otherwise I'm not getting anything done. But sometimes it's just better to sleep, recharge, and get up early and actually 
I mean, you, if you took, she's taken three hours, right? Had she just gone to bed and then got up even an hour earlier and read for one hour, she probably would have got 10 times more out of that one hour of reading when her brain was actually working versus at night when it's not. So you guys, if, if, if you're doing this and you're noticing that you're wasting a lot of time and not getting the results, you, you might just be misusing your time and that's going to lead to burnout 100%. All right, let's move on to number five. What to do when you encounter a challenging class or teacher? What do you think? Um, you know, I, I've, I've, been, I've experienced this quite a few times in medical school. It's challenging, um, to say the least, because the class itself, like I majored in biochem, so I enjoyed biochem. Other students didn't major in biochem, so they had a challenging class. Now, challenging could be, let's say, the material, could be the instructor, could be both. Um, ideally, I would tap into anybody else in the class that can help me. So if it's a challenge as far as not understanding the material, because biochem and undergrad is, it might take um, a week or a couple of days to cover the Krebs cycle in uh, medical school, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe less than an hour. So it's very fast paced. So I would say if that's happening to you, you know, connect with students that perhaps can help you. Now, as far as the teacher's concerned, that's where it's a little tricky because the challenge as far as are they, Sometimes with their language, with their um, dialect, with, let's say, the material, maybe they're not teaching the material that you want. Because some, some doctors or some inst instructors are PhDs and not MDs, and they're amazing what they do. I'll give you an example. My biochem professor was a PhD. Amazing guy. He knew Lippincott inside and out. But as soon as you ask him another question, he would steer away and go back into Lippincott. So it, it, for me, I didn't care because I had biochem background. But for those in the class, they, they was a disservice because they didn't really understand the whole concept. Mm -hmm. so challenging you, what can you do right then you would have to tap into other resources if the class isn't giving you what you need and you realize as a whole it's not working then you can open up books to kind of compensate for the information you're not obtaining from the, the, the professor himself or herself it makes sense one of the things over the years that i've dealt with a lot is a student will reach out to me and this is typically not even a student who's working for who's working with us in our programs, just a student on Instagram or even via email who found me on YouTube somewhere. They'll say, you know, I'm, I'm in like anatomy or whatever class. And I, for some reason I can't, I'm not doing well. I always say the same thing, find someone who's doing well in the class and study partner with them. And typically when you partner up with someone who's either just better at that topic or naturally more gifted academically than you, what's going to happen is you're going to have to level up. And that's what you want. Typically, a high achieving student isn't going to level down to you. You're going to have to level up to them if you want to keep up with them. So what you can do is find someone or even two people maybe, but I, I think one is a good place to start. Find someone who's doing well. Say, hey, you know, I'm really looking for a study partner. You seem to know your stuff well. Would you be willing to just test it out for a couple of weeks? Spend a whole block with your study partner. Come up with a rigorous schedule where you guys can meet daily or even every other day. Go over the topics and then implement certain things where you can really test yourself. So sometimes students don't do well in a class because they're sort of just within themselves reading, not really testing themselves or challenging or pushing themselves. A partner might ask you a question that seems very simple and you might not be able to answer it. What's going to happen is you're going to be forced to learn that information. So if you, you study together and then you verbally ask each other questions, that's going to force you to really step up your game. You can't just passively read. You have to actually read and master that material because if you don't, you're going to look like you're just slacking off. That's not going to make you feel good. It's not going to make you look good. So I would say if you encounter a challenging class or even a teacher, 
find a study partner. If you have a teacher like Dr. Starvis, like you just said, who's just not doing it for you, default to the textbooks. The textbooks are going to consider them gold standard for your medical school class. The reason why every school essentially uses the same set of textbooks, because those are the best of the best. You can always default to those. So, you know, if your notes are, first of all, just bare and they're lacking, refer to the textbook, make your own notes. Sometimes you just have to go above and beyond to substitute for a poor teacher or a challenging class, but that's okay. You only have to do it once for, you know, a limited amount of time then you'll get your result and then you can move on. Oftentimes the challenging classes or teachers actually force us to become a lot more proficient in those topics. So a class that you thought was going to be a big struggle ends up being a big strength for you. So don't be afraid to dig in and do the extra work if you have to, if you encounter these types of challenges. I give you an example, guys. Um, my first semester was anatomy, obviously, at anatomy lab, and I didn't have any background in that. A lot of my colleagues were chiropractors, physical therapists, they had a healthcare background, education. Mm -hmm. So um, we had an issue because we had eight cadavers and we had 80 students, 10 students per cadaver. And it got to a point where the, the professor, the instructor, amazing guy, there's a couple challenges with his, with his, um, with his language, with his accent, May, very smart individual, but it's also climbing because it was only one instructor for 80 students. So it got to a point where we're like, well, and we're responsible to know all eight cadavers for every time we had, we had exams and quizzes. So we all got together as a group, a bunch of us. We're like, you know what? How about we pull him to the side every evening for an hour if he's able to. We'll film him going over the cadavers. We'll do all the editing. We'll do all the filming. We'll do everything. And not only will we be able to watch the videos and distribute amongst our class, but guess what? That ended up being part of the curriculum. So we put all the extra work in. And he was nice enough to say, yes, I'll do it with you guys. So we went from cadaver to cadaver, nice and slow, because it was only what, an hour for dissecting, two hours, it was three, four hour dissecting time. It's not enough time. So he went with us part by part, week by week. And then not only did we have this amazing curriculum, but then even to, the, I mean, to this day, it was a, I think it was like five years ago, I checked, it was still part of the curriculum, which was kind of oh, cool. Because, wow, yeah. yeah, it's nice. We gave value. We said, say, hey, come help us and take his time. It was more like, come help us because we need the help. And it will help you because it'll make your life easier because people can go home and watch the videos instead of all 80 students bombarding him every day. It was too much. So thank that's you. awesome. Do it with every other class, sort of, kind of, you know, we'll study. It's a perfect example of number one. Yeah, I didn't even mention this. Ask the teacher. Sometimes there's just a disconnect between their approach and how you, how you take everything in. Like I had, a, I had a histo teacher who I've talked about this a lot, was just a killer. The guy was brutally tough class. And I went up to him one day. I'm like, listen, I'm struggling. Uh, this is not tough. What can I do? And he walked me through some things I could do. I also studied with some people and eventually half that class got dropped out of that class and retook it the next year because he was supposed to be gone. And, but I ended up doing well. But, but like you said, use the resources. The teachers are there. Chances are they're going to be willing to and want to help you because they went into teaching for some reason, they probably want to help. So don't be afraid to ask. And I also love the fact that you guys really went above and beyond and you didn't have to, but you went above and beyond because you knew it would help you down the road. And now as a result, how many thousands of students have you probably helped do better in anatomy? You might've, you know, you might've spawned uh, some of the best surgeons for the future just by the extra work you guys did. So that's really amazing. It kind of goosebumps because I, I forgot that because we just, when we were talking back and forth, it came to my mind. And then second semester, I was a TA because they liked it so much. Everyone that filmed, because it was only six of us that really put that work yeah. in. Like, yeah. yeah, we want you guys to teach. So then guess what? That helped me with my studies because I did very well because not only did I film, 
then we were constantly repeating it. And, and then I put the time in. So it felt really great. So, but I know you guys are watching now and they're like, well, all right, Dr. Starr, right, Dr. Paul, you know, I got one for you. I'm not in class. It's all virtual. What do we do now? Okay, fair. Well, you either connect with other students in your class because there has to be some sort of a, a list of students, right, attending. Or if maybe you need tutoring, maybe you need tutoring. Maybe you need a tutor to help you with certain classes. The whole point is there's always uh, help out there. There's, mm -hmm. media, there's YouTube. There's tons of free content all the time. Can you devote the time to help you to help yourself? So it really comes down to it. If you're not understanding the material, there's no excuse. There's ways to, to understand it. If it's not the books or the professors, email people, check on tutorial, get a tutor. There's always something. You know, there's no excuse. Love it. All right, let's move on to the clinical years. All right, so now looking at the clinical years, we've got a few things we need to be very aware of so that we don't run into challenges. The first is, of course, starting clinical rotations. There's a lot of things you need to do during your clinicals that you need to get up to speed with very, very quickly, like writing notes. There's also the fact that you have to adjust to different schedules. Sometimes you might work 16 hours a day, and then all of a sudden you're working two hours a week. What do you do? And then there's shelf exams. Those are another really integral, important part of your clinical experience. Also, your grades. So, Dr. Stavros, can you give them some pointers so that let's say they're starting rotations next week. As far as writing notes go, what should they be aware of so that they can succeed right away? Well, you know, a lot of schools do have certain um, programs after you finish your first two years. It's usually four, six week program where all the students go in and they get acclimated to clinical years of medicine. Now some schools don't offer that. So if you haven't practiced writing notes, cause how would you write? You're learning about sure. histology, pathology and so on and so forth. Ideally, you can go online and see there's always samples of different notes, like SOAP notes, Subjective, Objective, Assessment, and Plan, and be prepared to write more than less. Don't think of it as, I'm going to just write the basics. Prepare and write as much as possible. Practice. I would always practice beforehand. There's many, many books out there. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to plug this one. First Aid for the Wards is pretty nice. It helped me out way back when because it breaks down internal medicine, peds, and whatnot. Gives you samples of what you're going to possibly see in the, in, in the hospitals. Sample notes, why not practice it from now? Because you need to know the, the normal to appreciate the abnormal, meaning you need to know how to write a full history and physical because not only will it help you to be a better physician, clinician, but also legally, right? The legal aspect, one like shorthand thing, and God forbid the one the time comes and it will, you have to go to court. Your notes don't support what you did three years ago. So learn the basics. Step by step, it's painful because it's like, well, I haven't done clinicals yet. And unfortunately, you have to be careful because depending on the rotations you go, you might have residents and attendings are really great. Other ones are also great, but they're very busy. And you're expecting them to review your notes and they won't. So then you're like, well, how do I learn? Well, that's when you have to tap into other sources, colleagues, friends, um, sources online to really review and, and check your progression of learning how to write the notes. It's tough, but you just, it takes a lot of time to practice to get really good at typing and writing notes. Well, that book, once again, was First Aid for the Wards? For the Wards. All right, so I'll put a little picture right here. Pretty good. You guys picked that one up. The other thing is adjusting to different schedules. Now, in med school, in clinicals, your schedule is going to vary. I think the biggest challenge students will face is not necessarily a longer workday. It's having to do overnight calls. Yeah. First time you do an overnight call, you're going to think, hmm, this is either easy because you had a really lucky easy night or you're going to say, wow, this sucks because you're up 
for 36 hours. Not only do you need to stay up, you need to then do rounds and stay for your typical day. At least we had to, at least internal, they expected us to stay. Um, you need to prioritize a regimented lifestyle while you're in med school. And you need to make sure that when you have overnight calls, that you communicate with your team. So if it's me and Dr. Stavros on call, you should communicate so that you can get some sleep, he can get some sleep. Ideally, you won't need to both be working all the time. And if even if you can just get a couple hours here and there, it can at least help you survive the night. But that's something you definitely need to communicate with your, with your work partner. Make sure that whoever you're working with, you are openly communicating everything because the worst that could happen is you think, oh, this guy's just sleeping all night. Uh, I'm stuck here doing everything. Meanwhile, he might have just dozed off and he just didn't wake up because no one woke him up. Don't fall into that trap of being a martyr. Communicate openly. And when you have calls, make sure when you go home, first of all, make sure you're able to drive. You're not too tired before you leave the hospital. If you have to sleep there, sleep there. But make sure you do prioritize sleep. One of the, you know, one of the sort of things that doctors are known for is not sleeping enough. That's, in my mind, not really an acceptable excuse because you've got time in the evening to sleep. If you're not on call, don't stay up till one or two in the morning, sleep. If you prioritize your sleep and you get sufficient sleep whenever you can, you shouldn't have that much trouble doing a call here or there. Um, some are going to be, some rotations will be more challenging. Some will be less challenging. It'll balance out, but make sure you prioritize sleep, prioritize rest around those hectic call days and you'll be in good shape. It's, it's not as bad as it seems. It's not fun, but as long as you don't, you know, spend all your free time out partying, drinking with your buddies, you should be okay. And the reason why we're doing this is because you might say, well, okay, I'll do it next time. This will affect your future as far as and give you a little taste of what's, what's to come. Because fast forward to first year residency, you will have a 24 hour on call, which is never 24 hours, always more. And that's you as a first year resident, you're getting paid. Instead of a medical student paying to learn, you're getting paid to work and you have responsibility. And it's never always 24. And you can have a good day, you can have a bad day, meaning a light day or a really saturated evening with 10 patients, two discharge, five admits, and it's on you and the third and second year resident. So if you practice from now, you will have, be able to build that stamina because it's endurance, right? You have to be able oh, to. Yeah. And just to clarify, you have on call, which is obviously more than 24 hours, but then you have night shifts. So some, I mean, we never had that. You know, when medical school, we just had regular shifts. Now they have evening shifts. So sometimes you might have 11 to 7 a.m. for like two weeks. And I think it's not fair because it's like, well, then I have to adjust myself for those two weeks and then adjust myself back to my regular instead of having a year of, of working nights, right? So be careful and cautious. A lot of schools do that. Um, it's hospital-based too, subjective with what they decide to do in the curriculum. But overall, space it out. Never be afraid to ask for help. Say, listen, can you do it? Can you start the first shift and I'll go to take a nap and then I'll, I'll, you know, come wake me up and I'll take the evening. You know, work as a team. Because then by working as a team, it shows you you're a team player. Also working with the nurses. Please love your nurses. Take care of them because they'll take care of you. Listen to us now. They could be your best friend. They could also be your worst nightmare. So please be careful. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then the last thing we have here is shelf exams after every rotation. Ooh. Now, the next thing we're going to talk about is step two CK prep. So I'm going to kind of amalgamate that with this. My 
best recommendation is when you're in a rotation, try to focus your studies on that topic. So let's say you're doing internal. Now, some students, whatever advice we put out there, someone's going to say, well, should I use boards and beyond or should I use um, this or should I use that? It doesn't matter. Pick a resource and go through it. So if you're doing internal, I mean, you might do the boards and beyond series. You might do the, uh, what's the other one called? It's escaping my, my brain right now. The online med ed you're talking about? Online med ed, yes. You could do that. Just pick something and then move through the topic. So if it's internal, you have 12 weeks, go through a video a day, take notes, then also integrate questions, find some internal medicine questions, do that throughout your rotation so that by the time, let's say eight to nine weeks have gone by, you've gone through all the material, then you can spend two to three weeks just reviewing that material. That'll get you ready for your shelf. Beautiful. That's short term. But long term, the notes you take for your CK prep following this strategy will prepare you for step two CK. It's just like we did for step one. We took our class notes, condensed them. You're going to do, like I said, remember, it's sort of the same strategy. This is where this comes into play. So I, I personally recommend that you watch videos. I, I went through Kaplan. So when I was doing internal, I did all the Kaplan videos. We'll be going all. And another little tip is when you have overnight calls, Take advantage of that time when you should be, you know, up. If you don't have patience, study. You can bang out like a solid six to eight hours of studying on an overnight shift. Take advantage of it. But get yourself a real thick workbook, you know, like maybe like the 300-page thick ones, and then go through the videos, take notes, uh, create your Anki cards or your index cards, whatever you want. And then, like I said, get done eight to nine weeks in and then just spend a couple weeks reviewing. Then you've got a stack of high-yield notes that's going to be your internal notes. Make sure you consistently review those. Then when surgery starts, do the exact same thing. Peds, same thing. ob same thing. You're going to work during the, the rotation to get smarter in the topic, which is going to make you look better to your attending, your residents. It's going to get you ready for your shelf exam, and it's going to get you ready for your, your CK. It's like four for one. Don't be lazy. Don't just go home, kick back with a beer, and watch Netflix. Go home, study couple hours Spend you know your overnights studying put in that time now it'll pay dividends in the future and you won't have to scramble to do ck prep you know and try and get some time off that's ridiculous just do the work along the way you get so much more out of that who is uh deja vu because those who are watching were like oh i think you guys talked about it earlier exactly guys if you start from the day one which literally is day one of medical school and you build then when you get to third years, we're talking now third or fourth year, it's going to be easy for you. Easier. Of course. There's a skill. By the way, another spoiler alert, when you're in first, second year, the schools usually devote two, three, four months. And we know that some schools will even say, listen, we'll pay for your step one. We have taken it three months or less. Many schools are implementing that now and they have already. With step two, CK, you don't have the luxury to take off. You have to balance your rotations, electives with studying. So, how do you do that? If you're not able to study the right way, guess what? You're going to come home tired and you're like, well, I can't study. I can't study. When will you study? You'll never have time to study. So do what we're telling you from now. Start from the beginning. When you get to your rotations, it's going to be a piece of cake. Literally, you're like, all right, I'm studying. I'm reviewing. I feel that I'm producing. I'm, I'm learning. I'm refreshing myself, info, and, re and retaining the info. So you can score high in CK, open up more doors for residency. Really, it's just a domino effect. I mean, it's no magic pill. There's no secret. This is the and, secret. Yeah, and one of the one of the things students always say is, "Well, I go home and I just can't get myself to do it." So here's a simple hack: get up early, 
do it before you go to work or just go to the hospital and, and bang out an hour before or stay at the hospital before you go home, do an hour of work there or two hours there. So build it into your day at the hospital. If you can't bring yourself, if you can't discipline yourself at home, which you should be able to because it's a simple decision. I either do it or I don't. But if you just, you're not strong enough to do that, do it at the hospital. Go in early, stay a little bit late, get it done there, but get it done. You have to. You know what I, I use a lot as an example? A lot of our students are, you know, younger and they, they live with their families, which is awesome. And they're not married, they don't have kids. So they have all that time. I use the example because it really hits home. You have other students that are married, have kids, have side businesses, investments and whatnot. So picture this. Let's say you're the one in the class A where you have all the time in the world. That's a wonderful gift. You have the gift of time. The other student, class B, let's say, A, B doesn't make a difference, just two different classes. That individual has to be a father or a mother, has to be a parent, has to be a business owner and study as well. You see the difference? So those are like, oh, I don't have time. You have a lot of time. Back, mm-hmm. back to one, right? Time management. If you're not properly using the time effectively. Because if you're not practicing from now, you're going to get to a point where like, I never had time. Well, you always had the time. You just never really scheduled it the right way. And that's why you won't score as high as you want. That's all. Simple as that. Nothing complicated. So... Good luck. Love it. Very true. All right. So we touched on some of the CK prep strategy. Let me just give you a breakdown real quick and then we'll move on to the next point. So you need to be studying for the topic that you are going through. So you have internal surgery, peds, psych, OB, um, and then I guess family you could throw in there. It's not really a core, but you know, um, a lot of it will come up because a lot of it is clinical. That's sort of questions when you're in those rotations do the work. That's imperative. Because if you don't, then what I'm going to tell you is not going to help you because you're just going to be scrambling to try and get an easy rotation. So you can have a lot of time off to study, do the work slowly, consistently along the way, and you'll do better. Plain and simple. I've done this for so long. I know that this works way better than trying to take a month off and just trying to cram it. Once you've finished all your cores, you should be taking your exam within three to four weeks. What you want to do is dive into, if you haven't yet done USMLE world, dive into UWorld hardcore, do NBMEs to identify your weaknesses, go back, anything that's weak on those NBMEs, go review it, dive in deeper. So let's say you have uh, five weaknesses, spend two to three days on each one of those weaknesses. So that could be five weaknesses times two days, 10 days before you take another NBME. Ideally, 90% of those weaknesses are gone, but you'll probably have something. Take the NBME, identify a weakness, do the same thing, two to three days to work on that weakness, Go back, take an NBME. By that time, you should be in great shape, assuming that you were working hard all along and consistently reviewing all that material. This is going to work beautifully. And the great thing is, if you get stuck with a lot of heavy rotations after your course, which I think you should because you don't want those rotations where you're only going in for two hours a week. You're not getting your money's worth and you're not learning a lot. If you stay busy with rotations, but also follow the strategy, you can score 250, 60 plus while still very busy. It's just a matter of chipping away at it as you go, consistently reviewing, and then using that precious feedback from NBMEs, and then going and really mastering those weaknesses, bringing them up to strengths, and then just moving on through that cycle until NBMEs say, you are ready. Here's where you're going to score. Good luck. Especially when you're in the hospital, I mean, you, you want to be exposed to the material because some, everyone learns differently. Some people have to read, others need the hands-on experience. So if you sure. have that gives you only two hours, I saw that too in my rotations. I would stay as long as possible because I'm like, well, I'm, I'm responsible for the material anyway. So instead of going home, and you brought up a good point before, don't go home. 
if, because if you know the couch is there, the living room is there, the TV, the fridge, um, the bedroom, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to take a nap. No, don't go home. Stay in the hospital. Study two, three hours, and then maybe on the way home, listen to a podcast. There's many podcasts, including our own Talking to Summer League plug, where you can listen to many things because you have the time. You have an hour plus or minus to drive, hour back plus or minus, plus if you're exercising, just be effective with your timing. And if you know your weakness, oh, there's a TV there, there's Netflix, there's my couch, then don't put yourself in that environment. Because I know if I go home after the office and I don't go to the gym, I'm not going to go to the gym. That's just, that's me. I've accepted it. So I have a gym bag. Okay. I'm going to go straight to the gym because if I go home, I see my dog, I'm hanging out. I take a nice two hour walk podcast and I didn't go to the gym. So why not know your weaknesses and stay away from them? That's all. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Your environment can quite literally either make you or break you. Like if you're trying to stay healthy, don't pack your fridge and your cupboards with junk food, pack it with fresh fruits, vegetables, and you know, healthy things. Like one of the tricks that I, I, I mean, I'm pretty disciplined to go to the gym. I've been going since I was in high school, so it's not an issue for me, but you know, a lot of people say, well, how do I discipline myself to go wear your gym clothes to bed and then just get up. And the first thing you do is just go. Obviously, don't wear dirty gym clothes, but like if you wear shorts and a t-shirt to the gym, sleep in it so that when you get up, you're already ready to go. You have nothing to do but just walk there or right. drive there. Um, you know, same thing with, with eating healthy. If you bring crap in your lunch to work, you're going to eat it. Or if you don't bring anything, what are, you, what are your options going to be? Probably unhealthy things. But if you want to set yourself up for success, pack your own healthy lunch. Your environment is so important to your success or failure. And the great thing is you can 100% control your environment like Dr. Stavros was just saying, but you have to make that decision. Do I really want it or not? And if I do, I have to create an environment that works for me. Get rid of your TV if you can't stop watching Netflix or playing PlayStation. Give it to a friend or give it to someone and say, hold this for me for two years. I don't want it right now. Just do it. Trust me, it won't be the end of your life if you can't watch TV. You brought up something earlier. You were a personal trainer. So if those individuals out there, like me, you know, like you taught me a lot, you know, when we were working out in the past. So I knew that I needed certain techniques. So you, I brought you on board. You showed me. Same thing. If you need a dietitian, nutritionist, if you need a, a mentor to guide you through everything, medical school, if you need help, there's help there. It's the fact of, well, I'm okay. And then you waste a year, year and a half, two years, and you haven't, a, you haven't, a, gone to that point, right? You haven't lost weight. You haven't exercised. You haven't scored high on these steps. You say, well, now I need help. You know, there's always help that's going to be provided to you. But then at that time, you wasted two years of eating unhealthy. Maybe now you're diabetic, you're hypertensive, you have cholesterol, stressed out, and maybe you didn't pass on, your, on these steps. So those watching now that haven't taken the steps, if you know, meaning step one, step two, CK and CS, hopefully that comes back later. If you know that this is your weakness, that you need help, you need guidance, there's always help there to provide, to be provided to you. That's the whole point, right? If you need it, like for us, if I need your help, doc, I'm going to ask you and vice versa. If I know I could do it on my own, I do it on my own. I don't want to get there, mess myself up and then ask for help after. Cause sometimes it's reversible at that point. It's not, not, not that great. Get I, the help before problems arise. If it's yeah. available to you. So if you have a history of lackluster scores in, in undergrad in high school, whatever it may be, and you're in your first year of med school and you're watching this, don't wait until you get a 205 on your step one and then you're digging yourself out of a really big hole. Get help now. Reach out to us even. Get on board with us and we will make sure that you get a good score so that you don't have to dig yourself out of holes. Because if there's one thing I've learned over the years, 
uh, with working with med students is that there's nothing more challenging than digging themselves out of a pretty steep hole, like a poor step score or someone in the, you know, someone who's applying to residency in three months, who's done no volunteer work, no research projects, has very little work experience. You've, you've dug yourself into a hole because you have no time and you have a lot you need to do. We can help you do these things ahead of time so that there's no holes to dig yourself out of. But like you said, the help is there for you. We're here for you. You just need to make sure you get the help before you have, before you need the help desperately, get the help. That's a very important lesson. And I just want to give you guys a little fast forward. I'm just want to bring up to you, Doc. So that's what we see. We see a lot of students are like, hey, I need help to get research. I'm like, well, okay, so you reach out to us. You're about to match in two months or apply to match. And you haven't done any research, right? Why now? That's why for those watching, this is key. Think ahead. I mean, I may not know what specialty you like, which is perfectly fine. But think ahead. This is your future. Maybe you need to do four different volunteer spots at four different hospitals to see, is peds for you? Is uh, surgery for you? Is family for you? The thought of the love of, the thought of being in love with something versus actually loving it, two different things. So you have the gift now, the time, the freedom to make the decisions wisely. Start from now. There'll be a better path for you in the future. Love it. All right, let's move on. Standing out amongst all of your peers. So seven and eight sort of go hand in hand. So let's start with standing out amongst your peers, and then we'll talk about how the things you do to stand out amongst your peers will actually help you get great letters. So there's some students know this, some don't. There's a team leader for every single rotation. The team leader is that person in the group who's basically going to keep tabs on everybody, assign projects, assign patients, gather all the information, present it to the attendings, uh, be basically the attendings right hand man. The single greatest thing you can do to stand out amongst your peers is get that leadership role. How do we do this? Get there early on day one, make sure you know who the physician that you are going to be waiting for, who that person is. So if you have to go into the hospital a couple days early, identify them visually, say, Hey, I'm going to be here in a couple days. Who is Dr. So-and-so find that person. Make sure you ask around, where does this person start their day? Do they start it over here? Do they, you don't want to be late to the show and then miss out. Find out where they are going to be and then be there first. And then even before he says his first word, introduce yourself, say, hey, you know, I'm really pumped for this uh, rotation. Uh, I'd like to volunteer right now to be the team leader. Is that okay? Does that work for you? Do it, be proactive, and they'll be like, wow, okay, great. You're the team leader. Now, if you unfortunately miss out on that, let's say you're sick on day one or you screwed up and you didn't take our advice and you were late to the show, I would befriend the team leader and say, hey, listen, I don't want to take anything away from you. You're the team leader, but I definitely want to get the most out of this rotation, make your life a little easier. Let me, let me be your right-hand man. Let me team up with you uh, just so that uh, I can make your life easier and we can do this together. 99% of the time, they're going to say, sure, like, why not, right? I would. And if you can get that leadership role side by side with the person who's a team leader, you're going to stand out because you're always in front of someone. Best way to stand out amongst your peers is to always be visible. How are you visible? You're always there working with the attending or the residents. That's number one. Go ahead. You're going to say something. Well, it was funny that you're saying this. Like when we had internal medicine way back when, I, I found out who my preceptor was, Dr. So-and-so in cardiology. And I knew I found out that his schedule was like three hours a day. I'm like, okay. Then I found out who the PD was for internal medicine. And then I found out who the team leader was. So then when I got into internal medicine, not only did I introduce to my, myself to the team lead, I'm like, listen, you know, who's going to take over your role? He goes, well, I'm not sure yet. So guess what I did? Buddied up with them, helped them out as much as I can. 
So not only did I skip one preceptor, I ended up getting the team lead, shared it with another girl, but then my preceptor was the program director of internal medicine at that, at that hospital. So I was there early, I stayed late, I was involved in everything, and then I got a letter from him. And that's the whole point, right? I did the research or else I would have just taken whatever doctor that they gave me, had my three hours a day. I'm like, I don't want just three hours a day. I want to be here 12 hours plus. I want to learn internal medicine. There's a difference between wanting it and saying you want it, but you don't do the work to get it, right? Everybody wants to succeed, but most people aren't willing to do the work above and beyond. So you said a couple important things there. Um, get there early and stay late. If, if, if you're expected to be there from nine to three, get there at seven, stay till five. Not only will you just always be there so more people are seeing you, but a lot of action happens outside of your mandated hours. You know, there could be a code. There could be a surgical emergency. Maybe there's a gunshot wound. Maybe there's something that's going to happen. It's going to give you a great experience that can also put you side by side with someone who might end up being your mentor. You never know. The more time you're there, the better. I would recommend that you always get there two hours early, always stay two hours late. This is also a great opportunity, uh, like we talked about in number five and six, to work towards studying for your shelves and your step two CK. So become the team leader, get there early, stay late. Another thing that I did, um, which I think was hugely beneficial for me, was I befriended all of the residents. And I, whenever they were there and we weren't expected to be working on our patients, I would follow a resident around, not like a puppy dog, but I would say, hey, can I just you know, shadow you right now? Can, we, can I go with you just to learn? Ask questions. Residents, trust me, are going to be more than happy to say, hey, do all my grunt work, you know, run things around. Uh, and if you do these things and show that you're, you're willing to go above and beyond, they're also going to let you do procedures. I did so many things that other students in my rotation wasn't, weren't doing just because I was there. So befriend them. Um, that's also uh, some, something students don't realize is when you befriend the residents and attendings and you work side by side with them, you get your foot in the door and you might not get into a program at that hospital, but guess what? These people know people at other hospitals, especially if you're in a big city like Chicago, New York, LA, Miami, you might know someone who might not be able to help you at that hospital, but they might know someone that can help you at another hospital. So you want to leverage these relationships down the road. That's a, a conversation for a different video, but those are some things you can do to stand out amongst your peers. Now, if you've done all of this, you've put yourself in front of the attendings, the residents, you've worked alongside them, you've demonstrated your willingness to go above and beyond, this sets you up for amazing letters recommendation. They go hand in hand. The more someone sees you, they're before everyone. They're later than everyone. Always running around, doing scut work, just doing more, being present, working harder. That's the key to great letters, guys. There's nothing. Sorry, let me just say one more thing and then I'll let you jump in. Please, please, please. There's nothing more aggravating to an internal medicine attending, for example, as someone who comes up and says, hey, can you give me a letter? And they're like, sure, I'll give you a letter. And then they're like, what's your name? If, you, if they got to ask your name, that's not a good sign. Good letters, great, exceptional letters come from being side by side with the attendings and residents, being the number one go-to person, not standing at the back of the crowd and blending in. You want great letters? Do everything I just outlined in number seven. You will get letters so good that PDs will probably think, wow, just based on this, we need to bring them in for an interview. You know, and I, I might get some hate mail on this, but a lot of doctors provide generic letters of recommendation. Of Other doctors provide specific, tailored 
um, individual letters of recommendation. So I actually turned down two LORs because when the physician told me, yeah, just write, just write it and I'll sign it. I never got back to him. I said, thank you. Sure. I appreciate it. Other one, you know, I got, I got to look at it. And I, ne I never, I never continue with it because it was very generic. I'm like, well, okay. And this individual, unfortunately, I was only exposed to him for one to two hours a day. But back then no one told me what to do, right? I was a student. Sure, of course. I to watch anyone. And I'm telling you guys now, if let's say internal isn't your specialty, okay, fine. Peds isn't your specialty. Okay, fine. You still work hard because remember, you might not really want to push hard because it's now your future in medicine and pediatrics, but you're still responsible for that on CK. Fine. And also as a good physician, you get a taste of everything. But what I want, what I want you guys to remember is when you approach a, a physician to get an LOR, you're going to approach someone who has seen you at your finest because his word, her word, word is going to be gold for you because they're recommending you to a program. Out there now is a lot of saturated fluff, right? Oh, everyone gets an LOR. Everyone's getting an LOR. That's why doctors are like, oh, that's a generic LOR. Hard worker, sacrifice, you showed up on time. That means nothing to me because everyone gets that, right? So always think that, keep that in mind. You're not privileged to anything. You're not entitled to anything. They might not give you, they might be nice and give you an LOR because you paid for the, for the elective and the rotation, but it's generic, which means nothing. So please be careful. That's what I you would just say. Said, you just said something, and I think it perfectly illustrates the difference between a letter and an exceptional letter. Let's say one letter or many letters, a program director reads, says, you know, he showed up, he did his work, he was pleasant, answered questions. Okay, great. You showed up and you did your work. Well, do. You're supposed to. Well, do. What if the, another letter says, though, he showed up early every day and he stayed late every day? He actively participated in every single patient I saw for the 12 weeks he was with me. That's when you said specific instead of generic, that's the sort of thing we're talking about. And there's the only way you could possibly get this specific letter is if you are going into your rotations with the goal of, I'm going to stand out, I'm going to do everything I can to stand out. And you can sort of create your own letters. If you want to be known as someone who shows up early and stays late, do it. You want to be known as someone who is willing to do all the crappy work. Like, you know, if you have to do get stool samples, just be the guy who always gets the stool samples. It's not going to kill you. <laughs> just do these things because then those specific things will stand out on a, a letter. And that's when a PD sees it and they're like, this is so unique. I've never actually seen something like this for years where someone actually said the student shows up early and stays late and participates literally in every patient. That's the level of specificity you want because that actually shows that you are willing to do these things because no doctor in their right mind is going to say, oh yeah, Dr. Stavros, he was great. He showed up at 9 a.m. Uh, when we were told to come in at noon and he stayed around for five hours. No one's going to make that up because why would they? And they're not even going to think about it. But if you're doing it, it's going to plant that seed in their head and then they will actually do it. Here's a little tip for everyone out there. If you are researching like you, what we tell you to do and you network like we tell you to do and you talk to friends and colleagues that have done the rotation, you can ask your friends, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm about to do internal medicine at this hospital and I got Dr. So-and-so. What do you think of him? Because I know you had him. Sure. They might say, hey, listen, you could work your butt off. He's going to give you a generic, a generic letter. Okay, what do you do now? I would either try to change a preceptor or continue with the same preceptor. And my challenge is to get a specific letter from him. It happened to my sister. She did ortho. And this guy was a beast. Love the guy. I met him actually. 120 patients a day. She, seen, she saw so much. And at the end, because I told her, stay with him and blow him away. I'm talking about knock him out, you know, in a nice way. I was like, and at the end, he wrote her a specific letter. Even though he was known for generic, generic, 
he actually was like, I got to write you a letter because you were early, stayed late. You did everything right way. You did cast, you did injections. She was running the whole show because that was in her, that was, but that wasn't, she's not doing ortho. She's in family. She, but she learned to do that. She learned right? to do everything. I mean, stuff that people don't even know how to do as a first year resident. She called me the other day. She goes, yeah. I mean, I was in um, the clinic, she goes, and I did an injection. No one else knew how to do it. I was like, what do you mean? She goes, well, the first year residents had no idea how to do an injection. I did like 300 of them in ortho, you see? So she's not in ortho, but she learned something in this rotation that used in another rotation. Guys, we're giving you gold here. We're giving you nuggets. Take them, use them wisely, please. We didn't have them. So, yeah, before we move into the, the, the last two questions uh, about residency, I'll tell you a real quick story about myself. Um, I don't know. Did you take PMNR at the hospital that we met at? No, I did not. Okay. So there's this guy. He yeah. was notorious for giving C's. I had three or four people before me say he gives C's. He just does it. It's just his thing. He gives C's. I said, challenge accepted. So I went in. I, I did exactly what I told you guys. I became team leader. I went home and I studied everything he talked about that day. I went home and I studied in detail. I was active. He actually rounded at different hospitals. I asked, can I go with you just so I can learn more? I was, I had zero interest in going into PMNR as a field, but I was just determined to prove my theory that you can get great letters, great scores, even when it, the, the, the common knowledge is that they don't do that. I got an A in that class. I got an insanely good letter recommendation that I never used because I didn't want to go into that specialty, but it just proves my point that you can if you want above average results, you have to do things that the masses aren't willing to do. You know, that's why everyone says, this is how you study for step one. Well, I said to you guys, why would you follow the masses advice? You want an average score? No, I don't want an average score. Why are you listening to the masses? Because the masses are average. That's just how it goes. The masses, then you have the overachievers, then you have the people on the lower end. I was determined to prove that with some specific strategies, you can get a good score, even if someone's notorious for giving C's. So guys, what we're telling you is not just stuff we made up. Dr. Stavros just gave an amazing example with his sister who's now in residency. And I just gave you a great example. Notorious giver of C's gives me an A. All I did was what I told you I, 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 that you should do. And if you do that every single time, imagine the power you will have when you go to apply and you've got a dozen amazing letters. People are going to be asking you. I had resident uh, attendings ask me if they could write me letters because I went so above and beyond. Same with my anesthesia rotation. The guy's like, let me write you a letter. That's what you want. Okay, so let's move on. Do you have anything else to add there? No, I'm just saying for those out there listening, oh yeah, but you know, he, he, he was being fake. No, he was actually- No, 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 no. Skill. So you see, even if he didn't like PM&R, he actually was implementing his skill set and his work ethic and his discipline. So he was disciplined yeah. to work, to read, to study. Work is work, guys. Medicine is medicine. Even though you don't like a certain field, by learning it, you're going to see it somewhere in step two, step three, a resident. You might get a curbside consult. So you see, it's more of his in, inner discipline, his beast inside was with doing it. So I don't want people to think that because, oh, yeah, he liked PMNR. Tell you guys, don't think this way. If you think this way, you will fail a thousand percent. Yeah. Um, I, anyone who, who would, in my mind, if, if you heard me explain that and you said, oh, that's fake. It's the same as students on CS saying, oh, you're just being fake with your tone of voice and your empathy. I'm not being fake. I'm just taking a skill set that I have, which is I can, I can turn on my empathetic charm like that if I have to. If I meet someone on the street, I could be a jerk. I'm not going to be, but I could be super empathetic. I could be inspirational. 
Am I being fake? No, because that's a skill set that I have and I can turn it on when I want to. Just because I'm nice to someone doesn't mean I'm fake. Maybe I just want to be nice. So, you know, get rid of that mentality if that's something that's popping in your head. Oh, this is all fake. It's not fake. You're just taking strategies and you're implementing them. And if you don't want to do it, then just don't do it. But, you know, it's going to be the difference between a generic letter that gets you no attention versus an amazing letter that gets you an interview. If that's what you want, you got to buy in. The last section here is getting ready for residency. So let's go through our last two sections here and then we will let you guys go. So number nine, getting everything in order. So when you've gone through basic sciences, you're nearing the end of your clinicals, you need to start thinking residency. Everything needs to have been done earlier, but this is the time when you start to package everything. So the main components of a good application and getting them ready ahead of time. We'll talk about that real quick. There's a handful of things you need. You need your step scores. You need your letters. You need, your, um, you need to have volunteer work. You should have a handful of, of research experiences. You should have a handful of work experiences. So let's just go through each one of those. So step one and step two, you should have your scores in place before you apply. Now, we know that some students will say, if I did really good on step one, maybe I'll wait to take CK. What's your opinion on that? Guys, I wouldn't wait. That's the whole point. I mean, because it, you're, you're creating, first of all, if you're doing well in step one, you scored well, that means you have a good study plan, discipline, work ethic, right? So then as soon as you do that, if you obviously follow on the typical four-year pattern timeline where you have to do your rotations, yes, you'll have a little gap for your CK, but you want to stay in that zone. You want to stay in that rhythm, right? Because it gets to a point when you apply for residency, we know for a fact that if you don't have your scores in by a certain time, you might not get all the interviews that you want because others are applying with the scores in their possession. Exactly. Exactly. So if you can, fine. If you can't, different story. But if you can't, say, why can't you, right? Where, where, where did you drop the ball? Because you dropped it somewhere. Unfortunately, school, you, or both, you didn't stay on track. That's why you need sometimes mentorship and guidance to keep you on track. Like parents kept us on track growing up. Same thing. You have somebody hold your hand. There's nothing wrong with to say, hey, you got to do it by this time or else when you start applying, you won't get all the interviews you need because you won't have the scores to provide to the people who want to employ you. So, yeah. so a couple tips, your letters of recommendation. I would strongly suggest you do not wait until right before applications go out. If you had a great rotation, you have a rapport with the attending, which you should, if you followed our strategies here, ask them for that letter at that point, get that out of the way. Research. Now, some specialties require research, some don't really, but if you look, I'm going to leave a link below um, for the AAMC website. You can go here and you can see the average number of work experiences, volunteer experiences, research presentations, etc. for basically all of the major residency spots. So family, internal, PEDS, psych, all of those, you can see what the average student who is right down the middle is doing, what the lower 10%, low 25%, top 75%, top 95% are doing. You can look at all of these things and you can see, for example, if you want to get into surgery and you don't have any research, you only did one core rotation, you have only one LOR, um, that's not going to be sufficient based on all of the information you're going to see on this website. You want to make sure that you are at least above the average on as much as you can. Now, if your step scores are below the average, make sure you step it up with work experience, with volunteer work, with research. And the the thing that I always tell students is don't wait until fourth year to start getting these things. Start from day one of med school. You know friends in your class who have brothers and sisters or parents who are residents or attendings? Get their info, 
contact them, say, hey, I'm interested in doing some research. Is there anything that I can help you with at this time? Volunteer work. doesn't matter what you do. Just make sure you have a lot of volunteer experience that you can put on your CV because they want to see that you have interests and you're willing to spend your time doing good for others outside of medicine, inside of medicine, doesn't matter. But you're going to notice that a lot of these, a lot of these programs, a lot of these residency positions are going to require that you're volunteering. So start this stuff early, get it out of the way so that when, you know, the second half of fourth year rolls around, you've done it all. The yeah. worst thing, and I absolutely hate seeing this, is when students, you know, either join our, pro, our residency roadmap or they just reach out to us and like, I'm applying for residency in a month. I don't have any um, research or any volunteer work. What do you suggest? At that point, it's too late. you got to start this stuff early. So I don't care where you're at. If you're watching this and you're in your fourth year, start getting this stuff together now. Very easy to do. You can volunteer. It's free work. Anyone's willing to take you, essentially. Even during COVID, you can do COVID relief. You can do COVID testing. There's a lot of things you can do. Uh, go to the animal shelter. Go to the homeless shelter. There's stuff you can do. Research, add value. Give your time, add value to the community. Research. Don't just ask people, you doing any research that you can that I, you can let me in on? No. Say, I'm looking for some research projects. Is there anything I could help you with? Go into these, these scenarios offering your time, your help to make their lives easier. You have to sell them. Don't just go asking for stuff. Sell them on the fact that you're going to make their lives easier. And is there anything that you can help them with? Do these things as early as possible. You'll thank me when fourth year rolls around and everyone else is running around like chickens with their heads cut off. And you're just, boom, I got it all. Let me just put it together. And I don't blame the students out there reaching out to us on Facebook and Instagram because when they watch our videos on YouTube, on you know, Instagram and Facebook, they build a relationship with us because they see us all the time, right? So they know, okay, if I reach out to these doctors, they have credible information, you know, really on point. And you have other students that just go on forums and reach out to random students getting random information. So in our roadmap program, right, when we have sessions three times a week, live Zoom sessions, it's a group effort. All the students are on board. So we have students from first semester medical school, second year medical school, third year medical school. So when they're listening to each other's wins and experiences, not only do they listen in on a little tidbit of the future, but then they can connect with each other. Because instead of going to find a random individual in a random forum on a random social media site, they have a family, a community that's been vetted by us. Because not only do they trust Dr. Paul, Dr. Stavros, and the rest of the team, but then they trust the students in the team because it's audited and it's a wonderful feeling of community. So you see right now, if a student says, well, I need research, well, I would say, all right, contact this doctor who's in our program, because you're in our program too, because let's say you just joined in yesterday, and he already had three research programs, or he's done you know, research or published papers. He'll probably guide you the best way. Next thing you know, they're connected. This person, second semester, by the time they get to third year, they've done publications, journals, presentations. There's no excuse. But because right. he wanted and she wanted to do so, and we were able to connect everyone to get it done. That's it. Awesome. Uh, the, the final tip, you know, with that one is just start as early as you can and find people who can mentor you in a way. And yeah, if that's through us, that's great. The last thing here, and I'm going to let you take this one because you are fresh out of this with your sister, how to find the right programs depending on your individual circumstances. So what can we tell the, the viewers about the programs that they qualify for, how they can dig up information, how they can identify the best programs to fit their needs, their criteria. The mentality of, I'm just going to apply to three, 400 programs and see what grabs, like the, the, an example, right? Throwing spaghetti against the wall. Yep. It's, it's going to cost you a lot of money. 
and you might realize a lot of um, like heartache later. Ideally, you have the time, research now, Match a Resident is a wonderful program that many residents, if not all, or future resident candidates, not all use. It's, a gorgeous, it's an amazing search engine where you put in your scores, you put in what you have, let's say if you need a visa, if you're you know, IMG, and they'll give you an idea of what programs you fit their criteria. Now, a disclaimer, it might say no more, you know, we, we see we want more than a 220 on step one. Unfortunately, unfortunately, yes and no. Some programs have that cutoff, but now other programs will look at you because you have a higher CK, you have other things mm -hmm. to offer. So I know many people reach out and say, well, I have a 220 or 219 instead of a 220. It doesn't make a difference. It gives you an idea. Then when you start searching these programs, you then, it's all, it's all categorized and consolidated for you. So you have like the program director, you have the, the residents first year to third year, you have a hospital bed, you have all the statistics, all the stats of the hospital. One thing my sister didn't do when she said in the podcast was she didn't take the time to really in, invest in researching all the programs. She just went in and, you know, we just went and applied to a lot of family medicine, which we had an idea many because I helped her, but there were other where, you know, she just kind of just selected them. The issue with that costs a lot of money and unfortunately you get saturated with too many interviews. You don't know what to go with, right? So that's why if you have the time now, slowly research and figure, do you want to live on the East Coast, West Coast? Do you want to be in a city? Do you want to be in suburbia? Do you want to go to rural? There's so many components involved that it's not like, well, I'm just going to pick 300 programs and see what grabs. It's more of statistics, location. It's are they IMG friendly? Are they non-IMG friendly? Are you applying to a program that's a university program that doesn't take that takes 2% IMGs. Well, if you want to pat yourself on the back that you applied, great, but you'll never get in. So a lot of things are involved in applying and picking. So don't wait till October 19th, because this year, 2020 is October 20th. Start from now. And if this is somebody watching because you're a first year medical student, you have a lot of time, but typically around your third year into being, when, you're, when you come in May of the time you're going to apply for the match, give yourself two, three months. Start searching a little bit every day. Because again, life doesn't stop, right? You have your step two CK, you have your CS, you have your electives. You have to add that to research the programs wisely or else you feel very stressed. You spend a lot of money and not get exactly what you deserve in return. So would you say that the best approach to this is probably start with match a resident to really narrow down what you likely will qualify for, identify the hospitals, and then go and do some more digging into that? You know, and that's what we did with my sister, especially because we had a list, you know, and then I, I, I pushed her. I'm like, listen, you're getting interviews, but we have to do research now to see where, what hospitals you really want to go to. Because some hospitals, they won't tell you that. Um, for example, it's a new program. Like they just, they're actually applying sure. their graduation now. So you have to, like you said, use it to kind of solidify more of a list and put the time in because this is your future, everyone. This is not just a a job for a few months because you're used to doing electives and rotations, which are from four weeks to three months. This is a three plus year commitment and you don't want to be stuck to jump in in residency and say, I was misled or I didn't feel like I, you know, I, I don't feel that I fit here. And next thing you know, you have to transfer out even if you, if, if, if you can. So put the hard work in now, put the work in now. This is your future in the residency. So it's definitely worth it. Love it. And one little bonus tip I'm going to give you is once you start to research the programs you might be interested in, when you're on their websites, go to the residence page, sure. take a note of all the residents, look for them on social media like Facebook, Instagram, 
befriend them, start networking with them. We didn't talk about networking today, but that's a very important part of um, giving yourself a leg up. So let's say you, you found 50 programs and you researched every single resident. You looked them all up on social media. Let's say a total of 125 are on Instagram. Befriend them all. Start communicating with them. Start um, befriending them. And that can maybe get you some more intel about the program. That could maybe get your foot in the door for an interview if you, of course, qualify. Don't overlook the importance of networking. That's going to be something that will take an amazing resume that you're going to put out because if you follow all this, you will have an amazing resume. This will just give you an even greater advantage and you can never have too many advantages when it comes to getting into the residency program of your dreams. So you guys follow all of the advice we gave you today. This addresses essentially everything from day one of med school all the way to residency applications. It addresses the tactics, the strategies, and also the mindset and the mental hurdles you will guaranteed come across because no matter how strong you are, no matter how motivated you are, you're always going to have ups and downs. And we want to make sure that when you have those downs, you're not going to let it take you out, right? You want to stay even keel. And if you follow this advice, you will get there. Now, like we said, one of the most important things you can do is get help before you actually need help. Be proactive Get people who know what they're doing to advise you so that you don't find yourself in a position where you have to dig yourself out of a massive hole because you failed step one or you did poorly on CK or you failed a rotation because trust me, I've seen that way too many times. Thank you all for sticking around until the end. I hope you found that to be helpful. If you want to learn more about how you can work with us either one-on-one, -on -one, get access to our drill sessions or our step one or step two CK coaching programs, don't forget to visit us at usmleguys.com. Thank you for sticking around. I hope that was helpful. We'll see you on the next episode.